Hello, you guys, and welcome to another episode of the Seems Like Diet Culture podcast. If this is your first time joining in, thank you so much for being here. If you've been here before, thank you so much for coming back. I'm really excited to chat with you guys today. It feels like a minute since I've actually recorded, and I just so look forward to sitting down and discussing these things with you guys. If you've never been to the podcast before, I should introduce myself. My name is Mallory Page. I'm a registered dietitian, and I am also the host of this podcast, which I created because I really wanted a space to be able to discuss different topics, especially nutrition, wellness, ED recovery, current events, etc., in a non-diet way. So much of what we see and interact with around these things and in general is very written with diet culture. And diet culture is this pervasive belief that the way that we look is more important than how we feel and how we're functioning mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, pretty much in every aspect. And you can see why that methodology doesn't really work well and isn't conducive to success for everybody. So my hope is always that you step away from this podcast with a perspective that you may not have had before on a topic. And I always make sure to incorporate facts and research and educated opinions as well as the perspectives of you guys within different episodes. Today's episode is going to be more of a discussion-based episode. We've done a lot of research and fact-heavy episodes lately, and I love those. But I wanted to throw this in here because it's really been on my mind since I went to Food and Nutrition Conference and Expo a week or two weeks ago. I can't believe it's already been. No, it's been a week. I feel like time in the period of September to early November just doesn't exist nothing feels fully real. And I don't know how to explain this properly, but I just feel so off kilter recently with my timelines. I don't know if you guys are feeling that at all either. I especially feel that way living in Austin, Texas, because October and September are crazy months here because the weather is really nice. All of that aside, I need to first explain what we're even talking about today and also what the heck Food and Nutrition Conference and Expo even is because I know if you're not a dietitian, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. So what I want to talk about today is diet culture within the field of dietetics and within the profession of dietitians. This is a topic that I'm a little bit nervous to cover just because, as I said, I am a dietitian, I have a degree in dietetics, and I have a lot of respect for the field and the people within the field. But at the same time, we can have the utmost respect and love for a field and a profession while also discussing some of the elements within that profession. And that's what I aim to do today while with talking about the diet culture aspects within the field. Now, what spurred this, as I mentioned, was FINCI. That's what Food and Nutrition Conference and Expo stands for, or that's the acronym we're going to use going forward. What this is, is a huge conference and expo, as you could imagine, based off of the description, that around 10,000 dietitians 
go-to. And it has a number of different things from sessions where people are speaking to poster presentations to a massive expo where people can go and share their products from companies that do food to companies like CVS to dietitians like myself or other people in the field. And it really is a way for everyone to come together, to network, to learn about advancements in the field and explore the areas of dietetics as a student more thoroughly or the profession as a dietitian. This was my first FENCI I'd ever been to, and I kind of feel like that's wild that I'm this far along in my career and in my schooling. I haven't gone. I will say that there's so many things I want to discuss about FENCI in and of itself, And because of that, I'm actually going to make a bonus episode that's going to come out this Sunday that discusses my Fincy experience because I don't want to take up all the time in this episode talking about it for those of you that may not know anything about it or may not be interested. So if you are in dietetics or dietetic student or interested in the field, check out that episode that'll come out this Sunday if you would like to. And while we are on the topic of announcements, I just wanted to quickly say that my program, Live Unrestricted for Practitioners, is currently accepting applications for our last round of the year, and we do not know when we're doing our next round. If you are unfamiliar with the program, this is a 16-week group program designed to help practitioners, whether it be dietitians, dietetic students, therapists, nutritionists, health coaches, break into the field of non-diet or expand their knowledge in the non-diet field to be able to help any client, no matter where they're at, but especially those that are struggling with their relationship with food, exercise, and body image. This gives you the tools, confidence, and communication that I wish desperately I had had when I was first starting and really will increase your success with clients, your confidence in going into jobs in this space, and even your conversations with professionals about this stuff can really improve. So if you want to check that out, it will be linked in the show notes. That's where you can put in an application. The application, it's short. It's no risk. Once you apply, we'll do a free consult to determine if we both think it's a good fit and discuss more logistical stuff, and you'll be given the option to join if you would like to. It's never something that's forced, so you can check that out there. But to now transition into Fincy, as I said, I'm not going to give you a whole deep dive of my experience, but I really had a good time. I had a positive experience. I will definitely be going again next year. I loved doing a booth. I thought there were a lot of interesting things that I learned. And at the same time, it was just a fascinating exemplification of where the current field of dietetics is actually at. Because if you are familiar at all with dietitians and dietetics, you may know that there are a lot of different types of dietitians, not only in terms of the type of positions that people can do in the field, but also in the sense of mindsets around the field itself. 
So, of course, at this conference, you have people from every single different profession, from clinical dietitians to outpatient dietitians to oncology dietitians to inpatient and eating disorder and private practice and food service. I mean, the list could go on. But also, you have a mix between dietitians that are more of this non-diet, weight-inclusive, haze-oriented mindset, which haze is health at every size, and dietitians that more are of the typical mindset that we learn in school, which I would argue is more diet culture associated, that is very weight loss focused, ingredient specific, very heavily nutrition oriented, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And as you wandered through the expo, which is this huge room essentially of all of these different companies and brands, I felt like there was almost this sense of confusion, even amongst the people that were there, because they didn't know exactly who they were talking to. So for example, if you're going up to a certain booth, and that booth is giving away orange juice, which is something that happened, you may have one dietitian there that is concerned about the amount of added sugar added to the orange juice or the amount of sugar in the orange juice itself, or maybe they won't even drink it. And then you have another dietitian that's all about the non-diet mindset that's like, I don't care about those things. If I want the orange juice, I'm going to have the orange juice. Now, this is kind of a silly example and very surface level in terms of the bigger picture, but it showed up in a lot of different booths as well. And to me, it just made me think about the challenges that are currently occurring within this field and the division that I think is being felt by everyone to a certain extent, and even the judgment that people on both sides can feel and how icky and confusing that can be as well. And I should say that the presentations and speaking events are also an example of this. Fency does a really good job of having all different types of speaking engagements that people can go to, but you'll have one that's all about weight loss and bariatric surgery, and another one that's about caring for eating disorders, and another one that's about making recipes without added sugar. And you can just see there's a lot of different things that are going on here. So, To back up from my fancy experience and talk a little bit more about dietetics and dietitians in general for any of you guys that may not be familiar with the field, dietetics is essentially the study of diet. We look at the science of how food and nutrition affects humans' health, and it has a strong emphasis on public health, educating Americans, dietary choices, nutrition facts, and the way that nutrition can affect how people feel. Dietetics as a field and as a study has actually not been around for a long time at all. The very first training course in dietetics was approved in 1914 at John Hopkins Hospital, and this is when they recognized the dietitian's role in the national hospital system. So although it does feel like 1914 was a million years ago, it was only around 110 years ago then that dietitians were even recognized to have a role. And you can imagine how 
the actual study of dietetics subsequently came out after the fact. And it was only recently that a lot of universities took this up as a field of study. And I can also tell you there are a ton of universities still that do not have the dietetics. Um, What is is the word I'm looking for? The didactic program of dietetics. Essentially, you can't go there and study dietetics to then become a dietitian. This in and of itself presents challenges and benefits because as you can imagine, there really are a lot of people that have been in the field of dietetics from the very beginning and they were trailblazers and pushing along this movement of how important food and nutrition can be in your life and in helping you feel your best and those people that were a part of this really revolution were the ones that made becoming a dietitian and the role of a dietitian even possible. And that's so freaking cool. You can also imagine how within recent years, there has been another wave of dietitians. And these dietitians may have different mindsets than what was traditionally found. And they may challenge the ideas that we see in textbooks, especially outdated ones, and that we see in training programs. And you can kind of imagine how there can be this very natural division that comes about. Furthermore, the field of dietetics is a complicated one. If you have never heard about what it takes to become a dietitian, you have to go to four years of undergrad at a certified dietetics didactic program. So you have to do four years at least of school and get all of the different required classes completed, which involves a lot of science-based classes, physiology, organic chemistry, general chemistry, food labs, all of that type of stuff is involved. So it's a very science-heavy, challenging major, I would say, for many people, especially if those topics I listed are challenging. And also, on the precipice of graduation, you know that you have to go and do a dietetic internship and now a master's. So let me explain this more. When you're in your undergrad, the whole point of undergrad is, of course, to get your course curriculum done, but also to get involved in different opportunities to show that you deserve to get into a dietetic internship or master's program. There are a lot of programs that will look specifically at your grades within science and nutrition classes, and if you don't have B's or up in those classes, you won't even be considered for an internship. That's not completely true. I know that there are exceptions to this, but it's something that can be seen. Essentially, what I'm trying to say with this is that it can be very competitive to get into programs. You start applying to dietetic internships the second semester of your senior year, and The process used to be, which I don't know if it's changed now because they added in a master's, it used to be that all you could do was rank the different schools and you would get matched to whoever accepted you. And it's kind of this weird process. It's not as if you know every school that accepts you that you apply to. You only know the school that you get matched to and you have to say yes or no to that school 
And I think there is such a thing as a scramble round if you don't get accepted by a school, but essentially it's not it's not as if you know every place and every option. You just get your first choice. Now, as I mentioned, by the year of 2024, it changed that your dietetic internship isn't enough and you also have to get a master's. So your dietetic internship is 1,200 hours at the least of work in the areas of clinical food service and community nutrition. So I did my dietetic internship at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences and I loved it. I did lots of different rotations at a hospital, at the University of Oklahoma Norman food division. I went to sports teams. I did a lot of different stuff, but I didn't have to do any extra courses to get a master's. I just did a nine-month program, and then once I was done with that, I had to sit for my ex- or study for my exam, then sit for my exam and pass to become a dietitian. Now people have to get their master's, so they have to complete different schooling to go along with that. A lot of programs you can do a mix of DI and your master's at the same time, but some you can't. So you can imagine that this process can range anywhere from a year to three years plus. And no matter what, once you finish that, you then have to, as I mentioned, study for your board exam and then pass that board exam, which many people don't pass on the first time for their board exam. Other people do as well. No matter what, as long as you pass, that's great. I explain all of this just to give context to the fact that the field of dietetics is one that has a lot of schooling for very little pay at the end of it. So the average salary that we typically see in dietetics is one that ranges from around 50 to 60k if you look at averages. Again, this is hard to judge because it's very area dependent, but what we can say is that the hourly rate or the salary rate that people are getting paid hasn't changed much over the last 20, even 30 years. So people are going into more debt to get their school, and yet they're getting paid similar amounts or sometimes even less. There was this article that was discussing how a job board was advertising for a competitive rate dietitian position, and the rate was $25 an hour. You can imagine how after going through essentially six years of schooling, that wouldn't feel like a very competitive rate. And I'm not undermining that $25 an hour can be a lot of money and it's something that anyone would be grateful for if they're looking for a job. But I do think that it reduces the ability for some people to be able to go into this field, especially when they have to take on so much debt potentially. Because even these dietetic internships, you can't always even take out school-based loans. You oftentimes have to take out private loans to be able to pay for them. So as I go through this, you may be thinking to yourself, why would people do this? And also, what are the implications of this in terms of how it affects gender and ethnicity and diversity within the field? And let me tell you, if you're thinking that, you are already recognizing the areas of major interest and challenge within the field itself. Now, the first thing that I'll mention is that 92% 
of people in the field of dietetics and that are dietitians are women. So only 8% men. Furthermore, when you look at ethnicity, 65% of people in the field of dietetics are white. And the other percentages are quite small overall. So Hispanic, Latino, or Spanish is 9%. East Asian is 8%. South Asian is 4%. Arab is 3%. Black or African American is 2%. Aboriginal is 1%. And other is 8%. That is a really small percentage of other ethnicities that are represented within the field and a very large percentage of white people that are taking up the majority of the field. And this will come up as an important piece of the conversation a little bit later on. So I want you to just kind of pin that in your mind. And so will the fact that many women are in the field as well. But I did want to just share a few more statistics that I found very, very interesting. This is from a website called a Career Explorer, and I'll put it in the show notes. One thing that I saw was the gender mix by career interest. So essentially, this looked at who was interested in the field, and you could compare this to who went into the field. And it showed that 42% of men were actually interested in the field of dietetics versus 58% of women. But then remember that only 8% of men go into it. I also want to note the fact that when they look at satisfaction rates for the field of registered dietitians, they're ranked as low. And also the growth of it is still up by 15%. Now, after explaining the cycle, there is already some showings of the ambiguity and the complications of the field in and of itself, but we haven't really discussed the ways that diet culture shows up within dietetics and the field of dietitians yet, other than the little glimpse that I was giving from Fincy. So let's take it all the way back to the start with why people get into the field of dietetics, because I feel like it's important to know this in terms of how it can influence the way that diet culture shows up. So if you guys have been here for a while, you may know about my story with food, body image, exercise, and an eating disorder. I have a couple of episodes where I talk about my story, one specifically that's episode number two on this podcast that goes into it in depth. And if you remember from that episode, if you've listened to it, I explained that I decided I wanted to be a dietitian around my sophomore year of high school because I wanted to, quote unquote, help people be healthier. (laughs) I always say that I went into the field with bad intention and people are confused why I say that's bad intention. But the reason why is because even though I felt like this desire to help people was so great and I was going in to save other people, it was really layered in a lot of very, very disordered mindsets. And my idea of what it meant to help someone become quote unquote healthier was so off base, you guys. I mean, at this time, I was over-exercising. I was severely orthorexic in terms of my mindsets around food. I was obsessed with my body. I had a whole list of ingredients that 
I would never eat and I couldn't believe when someone else ate them. And so going into the field, yes, I wanted to help other people be healthier, but also I had this really icky sense of moral authority and almost this feeling of I was better than other people that couldn't eat the way that I was eating. And I'm embarrassed by that now. I mean, I can't believe that I thought that way, but I'm just really trying to showcase how messed up my mindset was at the time. And so I searched all over the U.S. to find a school that's specified in dietetics. I don't mean that in the way that there aren't schools that do it, but I just wanted to go to a school that was known for dietetics. And my eating disorder from that point my sophomore year until when I got to school at University of Arizona my freshman year just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And so by the time I'm entering in as a freshman, I am in the throes of the worst part of my eating disorder and simultaneously starting classes all about hyperanalyzing nutrition and diet in every single aspect. And let me tell you, based off of statistics and research, I was not the only one going into this major with these type of struggles. In May of this year, there was a study done on the global prevalence of eating disorders and nutrition and dietetics university students. This was a systematic review, which means they take a ton of different studies and put them into one review to analyze the results from them. So these are very comprehensive. And what they found was that between 4 and 32% of nutrition and dietetics students are at a high risk for EDs and up to 89% meet criteria for orthorexia. Furthermore, 18% meet the criteria for eating disorders within their lifetime, and up to 100% experience symptoms associated with disordered eating. Those numbers are wild to me. I mean, up to 100% experience disordered eating habits at some point. And even if you take the overall prevalence of eating disorders or of orthorexia, those stats are jarring. I mean, to give you comparison, it's suspected that between 1% and 7% of people in the general population deal with orthorexia and around 9% deal with eating disorders. So you're comparing that to up to 89% that meet some criteria for orthorexia in dietetic students and up to 18% that meet criteria for EDs. When we take this into account, it gives us our first glimpse as to why the field can be skewed towards a diet culture perspective. Because although EDs are extremely complex, one of the main characteristics that usually shows up to some extent in an eating disorder or in disordered eating is the effect of diet culture the way that diet culture affects how you think or how you view yourself or what you choose to engage with. And so if we can think about the fact that 100% of people that have gone into this profession from the beginning, when it started around the 1900s, have been affected by disordered habits and therefore affected by diet culture, we can see how there can be a bias towards discussing diet culture 
adjacent behaviors and or the way that diet culture mindsets could seep into curriculum and to ways that we practice. So taking it back to this first year in college, there were not a ton of classes that I was in at the time that were nutrition related. I did some, as I said, but the main part where I really dove into nutrition and dietetics was in this class, Nutrition 101. And in Nutrition 101, we had this assignment where you had to track what you ate and analyze everything that you ate over a three-day period. And then you had to take it to your classmates and you had to have them basically, quote unquote, fix what it was that you ate and what was wrong and see the calories and the protein and the carbs and the nutrients and the sodium. This is literally right when we're starting with all of these people that can be exhibiting slightly disordered behaviors. And as I mentioned, this is our first real introduction into schooling. And I'm not trying to say this to paint everything in a negative light, but I'm trying to show the severity of how these things can show up. Because at the time, we all think, okay, this is normal. But as I look back on it, I don't think that it feels normal at all in any way. Not only in the fact that we're tracking our food, but even more so in the fact that we're having to show this to our peers to then be judged. And some people like myself were so comfortable with this because I was already eating all the quote-unquote right things, ick, at me. And then other people felt really uncomfortable and really judged by the assignment. And I've talked with other people that went to different universities and most of them had an assignment of some sort like this. And so then you can also imagine how the curriculum that we were focusing on was very oriented towards dissecting tiny little aspects to nutrition, vitamins, minerals, calories, and how this all relates to health. And there will never be a way to deny that nutrition and what you eat influences how you feel. But nutrition as a science is very new and just like it's new as a field. And what we see with nutrition trends in nutrition science is that it shifts over time. What we may think is the most beneficial to us at one period of time could change in 5, 10, 20 years. A good example of this is how there was a time where everybody thought butter was horrible for you and everything was replaced that had butter and you were having margarine and seed oils and different things. Now you can see that many people are super anti-seed oils and speak to the quote-unquote negatives of seed oils and how we need to reintroduce things like butter. And there is research that can support both of these claims to certain extents because there is conflicting advice and conflicting science in this field. If you guys want me to talk more about this, I can and why it is, but my short answer to this is we see it because of the fact that 
we are all super unique and super individual in terms of what works for us. So studying nutrition on people is really hard because we don't know what's causing the outcome that we're seeing. And then if we're using rats or something else, it's not going to be as pertinent to a human because rats are not the same as humans, even if they have similarities. So if we take this information and go back to our classes and to the textbooks, you can probably start to understand why some of the education materials and textbooks that we were using were probably somewhat outdated to what we would believe right in this moment. And or what we learned then is at the least outdated to now because it takes a while for a textbook to cycle and for us to get new information that's then published and taught. But it also is very realistic to have what we're taught in textbooks change over the period of time that we are a professional or in our dietetic internship. So this first class, as you can understand from what I was saying, was kind of the intro to nutrition and therefore, I think, somewhat of an intro to more diet culture-like nutrition. And there's a lot of other classes within the dietetics school. Why can I not say that? The dietetics major is what I'm trying to say. The dietetics major that are really interesting and really diverse. I mean, we take so many different types of classes from nutrition through the life cycle to food science to food service to medical nutrition therapy and so much more. I mean, we even learn about the ways that the government affects our food choices and the shortcomings of that and the pros to that and The whole education is not just entrenched in diet culture, but at the same time, when I went through school, there was little to no education on eating disorders even, but especially on the non-diet mindset. And therefore, in our traditional schooling and education, most dietitians are only exposed to the more traditional mindset around nutrition and diet. And therefore, many people practice from a more diet culture adjacent mindset. And I'm not trying to sit here and say that that's this horrible thing and that everything that we learn is jaded or not beneficial because that just could not be further from the truth. There's so many things that I learned in my education as a dietitian that still benefit me to this day. But you can also see how this divide has now been somewhat created as people have come out of the field and been exposed to things like intuitive eating and the non-diet mindset and haze and weight inclusivity and how this has not only challenged their education, but it has also made them question some of the things that they personally believe as a dietitian and as a professional. Now, what's really cool is as I was at FINCI, I actually got to talk with some different didactic programs. So basically people that have dietetics as a major and also some different schools and 
a lot of them are now starting to incorporate non-diet mindsets, haze, weight inclusivity. I know my alma mater, University of Arizona, they actually have classes about this now. And I've talked to people that have been in them and they've thought they were really, really awesome. So I think that this is becoming something that is more well-known and similar to other fields within healthcare, people will have the ability to specialize in the areas of interest to them. So one person can can specialize more in sports nutrition, another more in uh, medical nutrition therapy, another more in the non-diet mindset. And I think this will help to not only expose people to different types of niches and specializations, but also to give dietitians more of an ability to learn about these type of topics when they are in their education. Because once you get out of undergrad and go into your internship, guys, it's pretty much the same thing. I mean, there are some dietitians that you could potentially shadow under that will take up these mindsets. I mean, I've had multiple dietetic interns that have shadowed under me because they have interest in what I do and in the non-diet mindset and in working with disordered eating. But that's something most of them are personally seeking out. And many of our more traditional rotations are still going to have the same influence of this diet culture type of mindset. And so when you go through your undergrad, then through your DI, then you study for your exam, and then you go out into the field, of course then the field of dietitians is also therefore influenced by diet culture and it still shows up. And unless someone is exposed to this realm of non-diet and haze and weight inclusivity, and then decides that they want to take their own steps personally to educate themselves more in this mindset, they aren't going to get this information. And so it's really hard because how is someone that is supposed to go through all this schooling and pay all this money then expected to go into the field, not make a lot of money, and simultaneously pay for or heavily invest in all of this education that in some ways opposes certain things that they learned in school. I mean, that's pretty wild when you think about it. It's a lot to expect, and it naturally brings up confusion, and it brings up conflict within the field. And I also think this is the appropriate time to talk about what we were discussing earlier with the facts in terms of ethnicity. Because many of the people, as you saw going into this field, are white. And what I didn't mention about our education is the discussion of cultural awareness. And part of the reason why I didn't mention it is because Although there is some discussion, it's not heavily influenced. And then also, there aren't tons of people in classes that may hold different experiences that could bring up those points. Or maybe even if they're in the class, they don't feel comfortable. And also, it's not their job to be someone sitting in there bringing up their cultural perspective. 
And so although we did get a lot of education, at least in my program, about food insecurity and food deserts and how that affects people's access to food and food education, there wasn't a ton of discussion around the ways that these mindsets that we learn in school can be pushing against cultural sensitivity in terms of foods and also the role of racism and race in general and classism in people's food decisions and within their ability to lead a life that feels healthy for them and also to lead a life that us as dietitians see as quote-unquote healthy. To give you an example of how this can show up, let's use white rice and brown rice and carbs. So when we are in school, we learn that white rice is not as good as brown rice and essentially that everyone should opt for brown rice over white because of whole grains and fiber. There are a lot of cultures that have white rice and when we use this black and white thinking of we always need to have brown rice, it can unintentionally or intentionally be exclusionary to certain cultures and also just untrue. So when we look at Mexican food, for example, there are often times where they are using white rice and also where where they may have beans and tortillas and multiple carbs on a plate. And the traditional mindset of dietetics would be to say, oh, we need to alter this. We need to make these swaps. But that's not being sensitive and aware of the fact that this is a part of someone's culture. And when we demonize these foods, we can also be taking away a lot of that cultural experience and connection and joy and creating isolation. And the list could go on and on and on. I'm not even the person that is the expert in speaking on this stuff. I would really like to do a podcast in the future specifically discussing it, but one recommendation I'd love to give is your.latina.nutritionist on Instagram. I'll have her linked down below. I love the way that she talks about this stuff. She's a non-diet dietitian, and I just think she's amazing. So you can find out even more about the little glimpse of what I'm saying on her page and highly suggest checking out her programs and website and everything as well. But really, the example I use is just one example of all of the ways that this can show up. And it's not even hitting on the fact that diet culture in and of itself is exclusionary because diet culture has traditionally valued the thin, white, beautiful woman in a societally acceptable body with privilege and access to food, access to more resources, and that in and of itself is excluding other ethnicities and other races and other classes and experiences. And so diet culture can make so many people feel worse about themselves just because they don't fit this look. And therefore, when dietitians are educated on topics that are influenced by diet culture and not adding in cultural awareness and different experiences and education about race and about diet culture, we therefore are pushing forward that same diet culture narrative. 
And I mean, don't even get me started on the fact that, of course, when we have such expensive schooling that is required to get into a field, we also take out huge groups of people that may want to be a part of this field because not everybody can pay for school or even take on debt. Taking on debt is a privilege that not many people have, and I know that sounds wild, but it is true. So I don't want this all to come off as me saying that dietetics is bad or that dietitians are bad or that dietetics is diet culture or any of those things at all. But I think it's really important to explain for so many different reasons. I think, number one, it's important to explain so that those of you that may be going into the field or interested in this field understand what the current environment is like and understand that your education is meant to expose you to things, but not every single thing you see may be something that you feel aligned to. Number two, it helps anyone that is interested in being a client of a dietitian to have a greater awareness around the fact that many dietitians can have different mindsets. And if you are looking for someone to work on disordered eating and healing your relationship with food and dropping dieting and letting go of this strong desire for weight loss and trying to be more haze-oriented, I would heavily, heavily suggest finding a non-diet dietitian because you're not going to get what you're looking for from every dietitian. Think of it more like what I was saying about healthcare and how different doctors have different specialties. You're not going to go to a dentist to get help with a surgery. Well, I guess you could because if you need a surgery on your teeth, but you're not going to go to an oncology doctor to get help with your teeth, for example. You guys get what I'm saying, despite the fact that I'm having a horrible example of this moment. So it's not that there are good and bad dietitians, but there are dietitians with different types of mindsets, and you're going to want to make sure that the one that you work with relates to your mindset that you are wanting to pick up. And I have had so many clients come to me that have expressed that they had a dietitian and they had a negative experience because they weren't aligned on this mindset piece. Now, the third thing is, I feel like we have to have people that start to discuss this within the field. And I want to just make note of the fact that I am in no way trying to act like I am this crusader of discussing the non-diet mindset and the challenges that can come up within the field of dietetics. That is just so, so not true at all. There are so many people that have done this before me and many people that I could list out that really work to push diversity and cultural awareness and diet culture resistance forward within this field and weight inclusivity and haze. But I still feel like the more voices we have, the better, because it helps to create awareness on the ways that we can strengthen this field as a whole and make more people feel even more comfortable. And so I discuss this because I want dietitians 
and the field of dietetics to have better experiences. I want dietitians to be paid fairly. I want dietitians to be valued within their workplace. I want dietitians to be able to work within the fields they're confident in. And I also want dietitians to be able to have more awareness around all topics in dietetics and current research as well so that they can decide what truly aligns with them. I also think that the more that we offer different pieces of education and ability to specialize or get interested in topics that someone's really interested in, the better. You know, whether that be that someone wants to go into pediatric care or oncology or working in the VA or in non-diet. I mean, this is why I created my program, Live Unrestricted for Practitioners, because I took all of this time educating myself and paying for programs and not even programs, like webinars. Like, there was no program or anything, but doing all this work to to gain these non-diet perspectives. And I still have work to do because I feel like we forever learn in a field like nutrition and within a field of non-diet. But then I saw this amazing success of my clients. You know, I had almost 350 clients that I've worked with now, and I've seen the impacts of this non-diet, haze-oriented mindset. And people would come to me and they would ask, well, how do I get into this? You know, I'm interested in this, but I didn't learn it in school and I want to help my clients, but I feel like sometimes I get stuck or I don't know what to say or I don't have the tools. And that's why I created LUP because I want people to be able to get into this field, but I also want them to feel confident and I want them to be able to talk to their clients and help them to transform their mindsets, but also meet them where they're at. And some clients may come to you thinking they want weight loss, and you can still support a client in a non-diet mindset and take little steps, even with those thoughts. And eventually, many clients will start to notice how they feel internally when they are stepping away from that obsession about weight. And you also may have clients that come to you with an eating disorder and They are wanting to heal, but not understanding how to let go of this desire for weight loss or how to let go of these fear foods. And the non-diet mindset and helping these clients with disordered eating also applies here. And it applies to everyone. We just have to see how it can apply to everyone and how we can meet everyone where they're at with their mindsets. And that's why this program is so incredible because it does just that. And Anyways, I could talk about that for days. As I mentioned in the beginning, the link for LUP is down below. And if you are interested, this is the time to apply because we have a group coming in November and it will be potentially our last time running the group in this type of capacity. We don't know when we're running it again. So definitely click that link if you're interested or shoot me a DM if you have questions And this ties into Fincy again, actually, because when I was at Fincy, I actually had a booth one day. I was in the member product marketplace, and it was a really cool experience. And I was specifically there to promote LUP that I was just talking about, as well as just get to connect with people and network and all of those amazing things. And something that I did is on my booth, I had cookies. They were just sugar cookies. They were honestly so freaking good. I love a sugar cookie, but especially a sugar cookie in the fall. 
Mm, such a good thing. And the reactions to the cookies were so fascinating because on some, on one hand, I had people come up that were so relieved to just have a quote unquote normal cookie. And they just said, I love this. I believe that everything can fit into your diet and that no matter what, we should be able to have what we're craving. And this was from people of all ages, people that were retired in the field, people that were students, people in the profession, so many different types of people. There were also people that would come up and ask, are these just regular cookies? And I would say yes. And they would have a level of confusion. Why would I bring that here? They wouldn't say all these things, you know, but or people that would express that they felt like they needed to do something to earn that cookie. And I think this perfectly, oh, and, and also I should say that that happened, again, amongst all ages and professions. And this in and of itself elicits the exact point that I'm trying to get across. It's just that dietetics is an amazing field filled with a lot of wonderful people. And it's doing something that is new and it's innovative and it's different. And women are the ones that are pushing it forward. And it's cool. But also, just like any other field out there to exist, there are shortcomings to it and things that we still are needing to learn and things that will change. And we're at this point where there are people with different mindsets. And that's okay. But it's better to discuss them and to talk about them than it is to just act as if they don't exist. Because there are ways to find middle grounds. There are ways to become more interested in the areas that you're passionate about and also ways to learn about those areas. And there are also ways that we can all learn from each other's experiences and mindsets and lives. And so... I really hope that this episode does not come off as negative because that is the last thing that I would ever want, especially because I want to be a part of pushing the field forward and helping dietitians gain the respect and the payment that they deserve. But I do think a part of that is discussing this. And so we would be remiss not to talk about it and Fincy felt like the perfect time to have this discussion and ultimately open a conversation because although we can't talk back and forth on this podcast, I am more than open to discussing with you guys in my DMs, hearing your thoughts on my website where you can submit them or any other format that you see fit. On Spotify, they also have a little section where you can input your thoughts on the episode, which is really cool too. So the main takeaway that I would hope you would have from this episode is that dietitians do an extensive amount of work to be professionals and to be really educated within their craft. And I believe that dietitians deserve that acknowledgement and respect At the same time, there are still ways where diet culture seeps into a field like ours, especially one that's new. And there are different mindsets that are present within the field. And in some ways, we can feel a little bit of this divide right now, especially with 
waves of new dietitians coming into a relatively new field. And because of that, it's important that we have these conversations so that we can create more awareness and have more perspectives and ultimately give the best care to people and also the best care to ourselves. Oh, Otis is about to jump up on this this thing because he cannot just be still during the podcast. Ready? Do you hear him? Mm-hmm. Of course. Anyways, enough about Otis. I'm actually going in right now to film my Fincy recap. So if you want to hear more of the tea about Fincy in and of itself, look out for that this Sunday. As always, thank you guys for listening. Please let me know what you thought of this episode. It would mean a lot to me. I went back and forth on if this would be something that would be interesting to you guys. I thought a lot about how to share this in a way that was still celebratory of dietetics and dietitians and yet still brought up some of the things that I think are important. And your guys' feedback means a lot to me just to give me an idea of how this did end up coming across. And ultimately, if you did enjoy it and you think someone in your life would benefit from it or you feel inclined to give a rating or a review, I would appreciate it so much. I saw we went over the 300 mark on Spotify ratings, which made me so freaking happy. Thank you guys for making that happen and for supporting me always. With that being said, I will see you guys next week. Bye.